2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. I, I want to speak uh, tonight on the subject of being great in the eyes of God. Because being great in the eyes of people, you're going to find people everywhere that lift up people and say, man, isn't he a wonderful person? It drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me nuts. And you can go to Walmart and all these different places that sell the posters. You know what I'm talking about? You go to that section and they have all the posters that you can. And I'm thinking, why would I want a five foot, four foot by three and a half foot tall picture of that guy? He's in, he's in the paper all the time for you know, doing wrong. He, he can't stay sober. He can't do this and all that. But in the eyes of the world, that person's great because they have the talent to sing or they do this or that. And I'm thinking, you know, it's, God's got a totally different standard that he goes by by calling somebody great. And you're sitting there saying, the Bible doesn't call people great. Well, I'm going to show you where the Bible does call a person that we're about to study great. But I, it's, it's the idea of behind, if you're going to look into your heart, you're going to, you're, we're examining her motivation. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? I know myself. And I can tell you, sometimes I do things for the wrong reason. So sometimes we'll, we'll do something, even in church or on a stage or whatever, sometimes our motives can be wrong because we, we either want the attention or we want... Uh, the applause, or we want, whether it's singing, preaching, teaching, serving, whatever it is, it's not hard to do what we do for the wrong reasons. Some people do service just to get noticed. Some people quit service if they don't get noticed. You know, you play a part in the Christmas drama, and, and, you're, and you're not noticed, and all of a sudden you don't get as big of a part that you wanted, or part in the church, or a, a name badge for the position that you're doing, or whatever it is. You know, I've wondered, what is our motivation for coming to church? A, a while back, we, I can't remember when it was, and there was a night that we weren't having choir like tonight, and uh, Mark Barrett's uh, out of town, and it was just complicated to be able to try to do choir without Mark. And, and um, I, somebody said to me, they said, well, you know, if you don't have choir, our attendance is going to dip. And I stepped back and I thought, why do they come? Am I wrong in thinking that? And I'm thinking that with, it's not just choir, it's a lot of things. It's like if you don't do that, if, if they're not obligated to be there, they're not going to be there. And I started thinking, wow, that's, I, see, I come to church not for the programs that we have, but the purpose of worshiping our God. That, that's why I'm here. And, and let me know, there are times that I am tired, and there are times, even as your pastor, that I'm thinking, I don't want to go tonight. You're thinking, don't, you can't say that. I, we should be honest. I'm telling you the truth. There's some nights that I don't want to come to church. There's some mornings I don't want to come to church. But let me tell you, those are usually the days that I get the biggest blessing out of church. And those are the days that the Lord is trying to encourage me to, to say, hey, you, you need to get to what you need because you're exhausted. And the very fact that you're exhausted means you need to be refreshed. And we do that. And uh, I, I want to look at this woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, that the Bible is called a great woman. We're going to read it. You're probably thinking, oh, the Bible doesn't say that. It does say that. And that's why some of the weirdest things would catch your eye when you're reading through the Bible. And then it makes me step back and go, what does it mean by that? And then I study it, and then the Lord will show me something cool from it. 
2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed through Shunem, where a, what's the word? Great woman. She constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that it was off that he passed by and turned thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Now, I know she was a godly woman. I know that God gave her spiritual insights to this. But through all of my reading, I don't know her name. But I do know she was labeled as a great woman. Verse 10, let us make a little chamber. Now she's talking to her husband. I pray thee on the wall and and, and let us set forth him a, a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick that it should be that he come unto us that he shall turn in hither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. She, she was a woman that loved the work of God. What made her so great? I, I don't know about you, but if, if God's going to label somebody in my Bible great, not that I'm trying to be a big hat or whatever, but I, I kind of want in on that. I, I want into where God looks down and says, man, Tony, you're doing a good job, or whatever it is that this woman did. So if you guys don't mind, I, I, I think we ought to, as a church tonight, study this woman and, and see what she did and see what God lifted up in her life and said, this is what pleases me as God. So let's look at this. I, I don't know her name. I don't know about her, a lot about her, but I can tell you what I don't know about her. And you're saying, what, what does that prove? Well, let me tell you what I don't know about this woman. I, uh, apparently, from what we read, she wasn't of royalty. Nowhere in there does it talk about her being a king or uh, uh, of any royal blood whatsoever. Nothing indicates that we have read that she had great rank. She doesn't say anything about having great wealth or high status in her society. She she well uh, proven through here she wasn't endowed with great knowledge or skill. It doesn't say that she was talented or she was like a lot of the other women that we read in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that she was strikingly beautiful such as Sarah, Bathsheba, or Esther that points that out in Scripture. She didn't save her people the way that Esther did. She wasn't a great leader or judge like Deborah. She didn't even have a child who became great like Hannah did that t- turned around and gave her baby back to God or or, or like Moses' mom that gave her baby back to God, and then God says, man, it honored her like we see about Mary in the Bible. So you sit back and go, then how did she get this great status of being so great in the eyes of God? Well, the story begins in verse 8. Elisha is traveling through the little town, and uh, this was his job. Uh, uh, in a day's a modern-day way to look at it, it would be like... Um, C.T. Townsend, that was just here. C.T. Townsend, his full-time job that he does is he travels and he preaches. And, and, and that's what we have, the man of God traveling and speaking. And for whatever reason, this woman notices this man. And, and, and she's a Christian or believer, and she's noticing the work of God that he's doing. And she's having all these conversations. And you can imagine her out the window going, there goes that preacher again. Honey, I am telling you, that guy. And, and did you hear about the revival that started that's going on? And, and I, I bet you he gets hungry, honey. I mean, he passes by here every day around lunch. And, and, and she's just, her mind is going. She's very spiritually observant of what's going on. First thing I want to point out, number one, we notice her servant's heart. We notice her servant's start. The story begins by her feeding the man of God that passed through the city. 
right there alone, I would call her a great woman, amen? Some of you get that later, never mind. <laughs> but notice the simplicity of her service. What, what's so special about feeding the man of God? And sometimes we have this idea that, that to be great in the mind or the eyes of God means that we have to do great things. Man, I, I, I mean, we, we look at people like Billy Graham and D.L. Moody and, and Billy Sunday and all these people that have done these great things because we, we hear the stories, we read the books. This woman didn't have no book. She didn't have no crusade. She didn't start some movement across the world or anything like that. But I do see that she had a servant's heart that maybe only Elisha is the only person that could testify. But God saw every inch of her heart. What was so special about this? In her mind, it was just something that I can do to be a service to furthering the work of God. And this was great in the eyes of God. I'll, I'll be honest, it makes me think of people in our church. Those people that never take foot on a stage, they're never given a microphone, but they're faithful serving and getting the job done. They're faithful to, to, to help us accomplish the work of God behind the thing because the truth of the matter is this man of God needed a place to sleep and he needed food and honestly those are necessities in life that needed to be done to accomplish the work. I was, I was leaving today and I'm not trying to give anybody a big head or anything like that, I promise. But I'm thinking, we're going on that trip tomorrow. We have to get up early. I, I had a thousand and one things to do. I know the other ones that are going on this trip, things to get done. And I look over and I look through the back of the parking lot. There's Joe Nolan hooking up the trailers, lining up our vans, making sure they have gas and everything. And I went, praise God. I just thought, that, that, that's, that's wonderful. I walked into church this morning and walking down the hall. I, I can't even think. I am very tired, just so you guys know. I've had a long week. I'm walking down the hallway and I look in the rooms and all the rooms are lined up. Dave Bickle came in through the week, every single week. I don't even have to think about it. And he's doing that. And, and you say, why do these people do these? I, I mean, Irma Lucas and, and, and the ladies that clean the kitchen, they come in every Tuesday, and all they do is walk in there through the back door, clean the kitchen, and bow out, never even tell anybody that they're there. Why? Because they have a heart to get the work done. And then please God. Nobody even notices. Half the time, that person, but they notice the work that's done. Why do you do what you do? Seriously. What motivates you to get up to ride that bus? What motivates you to come in and clean or go back to that class? She loved to please her God. Notice the motivation as we read of her service. She had nothing to gain from this. It, it's, it's, it's so funny. She told her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by continually. She, I, I'm sure in all of her discussions, she said, I perceive this. She was very into this, of watching this go on. And through the whole thing, I can imagine one day she just nudged her husband. You, you ladies know what I'm talking about. Nudged her husband and said, whatever that guy's doing for God, I want in on it. Honey, what can you do? Honestly, what, what can you do? And she says, I don't know, but I'm going to do whatever I can do. Wouldn't that be a great thing if we all just had that heart right there? I don't know what I can do, but if it's this much of getting this much done, I want in on that much. 
Just give me an opportunity to get it done. This week back in the garage, we, uh, we had um, a group of people that have been coming in building the new tomb. It's going to be left to right. It's just this massive tomb for the, for the resurrection of our pageant. And Rick and Ashley and them had come in and do it. And it's just, you say, spray foam and, and spray paint and all this other stuff. You know what it is? And you say, if I can have this much part of, of lifting up Jesus Christ, let me in on it because I want to do whatever I can do to make big of Jesus. This past year, a blessing, we had um, our carnival. And, and it's funny, through the course of the night, our crowd of help gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we had some big jobs to accomplish, rolling up the inflatables and getting them put, to, put away. And some of you guys noticed that I posted this on Facebook. It was like 12.30 in the morning. And we had 10 guys, 12 guys out there rolling it up. Let me tell you, Thank God for your servant's heart of wanting to be part of something big of reaching people with the gospel. She was encouraging the man of God to keep going on, saying we support you. We appreciate what you do. She had invested interest because she got to be part of seeing people come to know God through the ministry that this man was doing, which is pretty cool motivation but notice how God kept expanding her boundaries of her ministry she started off feeding Elijah but then she noticed and she said you know what we feed this man we've done this and one day uh, you know they're probably sitting at the table and she nudges her husband and says I bet you he doesn't have a place where do you stay when you pass through here and then she he's probably looking at her and saying we don't have a room to put this guy what are you talking about? She looks over and says, but honey, you could build one. I'm, I'm not just reading into this. I'm telling you what it says. You know how, you know, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. The growth of her service. Notice how God kept expanding and opening opportunities. And then when we read this, the Bible says in that room that she built her, they added on their house, it goes through in the stool and, and the lamp and all that. You guys saw when we were reading through it. It names all the little things that are there, and yet it still doesn't mention her name. Because God pointed out and said, you know what? You thought of that lamp and I noticed. You thought that man, maybe he'd need a candle to, to read at night to study for whatever he's preaching. And God says, I noticed that too. I noticed the stool that you put it in there, and I noticed the bed you put it in there, and God listed all those things in the Bible. Isn't it awesome to know that maybe nobody ever notices what you do, but God notices every detail? Your labor is not in vain. But notice her contentment. I have you jump to verse 11 in this story, and it fell on the day that he came thither and turned into his chamber and lay there, and he said to Gehazi, what a name, which is his servant, called a Shudamite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. So he's laying in there and he says, man, you know what? This woman has been such a blessing. He said, hey, I, I, I know we don't always point this out and saying to Gehazi. It says, but go get her. I want to talk to her for a minute. She, she comes in and he said unto her, say now unto her, behold, thou... Thou hast been careful for us with all this care. And what is to be done for thee? What, what can we do for you? What is thou be spoken for to the king or, or maybe the, the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among my own people. 
Now, I know the verbiage that we're jumping back in time and reading that, but she, they, they bring her before, and he says, hey, man, I got, lady, you've been so sweet and kind and everything, and I'll be honest, I'm not trying to brag, but I've got some pull. I could, I could actually mention you before the king. I, I know the captain of guard. I, I could have some, maybe some extra servants around here that maybe just kind of look out for you. I could put in a good word and say, hey, make sure you take care of that woman or whatever it is. And she stood back and said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I dwell among my own people literally saying, I don't need to be elevated. I'm no better than anybody else. I sat back and thought, you know what? If that was me, mentioned the king, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I'd like dinner with the king is what I'd like. You know, you know I mean, we, we'd be taking advantage of the situation. And yet her whole heart was, you know, that's not why I do what I do. He was trying to be a blessing to her, saying, I appreciate what you have done. But she laid out and says, that's not why I've done what I've done. She said, I'm good. I'm content to live the way that I live. I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with what God has done. Was this a test? I don't know. Was God looking down at her and saying, hey, throw her, throw her out her, at her something material and see if she takes it? Because I don't know how many of you know the rest of the story, but God takes care of this woman in a really cool way. It was like she was saying, you know what, man, you're, you're really kind, but let me just keep doing what I'm doing because I'm getting great joy out of doing what I'm doing. See, the thing is, she did not need stuff to keep her going. And I, I just think about how many Christians, missionaries, like missionaries are a perfect illustration of this. Have you ever thought, thank God God has not called me to be a missionary? Being honest, I'm, just come on, you be honest. I, I have thought that. I, I've been where they've been, and I, I've seen the food that they have to eat, and you go in there, and there's concrete walls and all this, and I think, Lord, thank you for Fellowship Baptist Church, and that being my calling. I, I mean, it's just one of those things, because we have it in our minds, that somehow surrendering to do the work of the Lord means being unhappy. Let me tell you, you serve God wherever he plants you, and I promise you'll be the happiest person in the world. It's not a matter of, and we'll look over there, and I, I might look at brother so-and-so's job, and I might look at a job that so-and-so over here is doing whatever, but the thing is, God knows who you are, your talents, and your abilities, and everything, and when he puts you in that spot, you give it all you've got, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed, because God just has a way of helping us to bloom where he's planted us. She didn't need stuff to keep her going. She got joy in what she was doing for the Lord she wasn't rich. She could have asked for anything, but none of those things mattered to her. She had the right perspective. We had the right perspective of why we do what we do. I, I, in all that you do, and I'm just speaking heart to heart with you, and all that we do, remember, stop, and remember why you do what you do, because we get discouraged, and sometimes my wife will have to get on to me, and she says, all right, why do you do what you do? Why, why, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to work those hours? Why are you, whatever, you know, well, because it's got to get done. Not a good enough reason. <laughs> if it's nothing more than a checkoff list. And sometimes we need just, just, just evaluate ourselves of why do you do what you do? In the ministry that you are in right now, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Because sometimes if your heart's not in it, then when we don't get this or whatever it is, we'll get discouraged and we'll get out really fast. And we won't have the joy of the Lord from doing what we do. 
she, um, she turned around, verse 13. And he said unto her, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful, let's care, take care of us. What is be done? Wouldest thou be spoken to the king and the captain and of thy own? And verse 14. He said, What then is to be done for her? She doesn't want all those things. And Gehazi answered and said, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, I'll call her. When he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and the season of Elijah is set under according to the time of life. You know what I think is so cool about this? Number one is the fact that she did not ask for it. She did not ask for it. Isn't it cool to know that God is looking out for us when God sees you serving and God sees you laboring and you're thinking nobody in the world notices what I do and all the time and energy and the little things that we do? God noticed every bit. And let me tell you, when God notices, he gives more blessings than any man could ever dream of giving you. It wasn't just the fact that God said, yeah, give her, give her $1,000. and let, No, see, God turned around and blessed her with what only God could give her. You see, a lot of times we're trying to measure the blessings of this life and material possessions. And we're trying to say, well, I don't have a big car and I don't have that. See, none of those things made her happy. Those weren't the motivation or the goal of her whatsoever. And God said, give her what only I can give her. Let me tell you, the, be- the greatest blessings that I have in my life as a pastor, number one is my wife. Number two is my three kids. Let me tell you, the greatest blessings that I have in my life is the friendships that I have with you guys. The joy of the Lord of having a bond that it's not something that you can buy. You can't run to Walmart or Target to get this. I'm telling you, God has blessed us. Do you realize that God has blessed us? And maybe the world will look at me and say, man, he's a preacher and he's gone four years to college and he studies all the time and he works these hours and everything and say, and what does he have to show for it? I'll tell you what, I've been hooked up beyond description from my God. The blessings are wonderful. And they might not come in cash value, but I tell you, there's no price tag that you can put on what God has blessed me with. And I'm not saying that we don't care about the money. We have to live. We want to take care of our family. We want to do all those things. But it is not the true blessings that come from God. God blessed her in ways that only God could do. But then I'm going to show you guys something as we close this out. Notice this unexplained problem comes out of nowhere. You know what I love about this? For some reason, we have this idea that when we're serving God and we're pleasing God and, and all that we've done, if all I've done was brag on this woman through this whole thing, we have the idea that we're not going to face problems. I, I'm just being serious. In verse 18, and when the child was grown, it fell on a day that went out to his father, the reapers, and said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, brought him to his mother and sat her on her knees till noon and then died. Now let me take you back to when Elisha said that. You see, 
she stood back and said, no, my Lord, no, my Lord, don't say this unto this handmaid. She wasn't saying, I don't want this. She was just saying, is, is it honestly possible? Could I have such a blessing like this? And when she had that, she was just saying, do not lie to me. Do, do, not take, do not tease me with such a blessing of something like that. Something that I've wanted my entire life. You can imagine the devastation that she had. Especially knowing that this was a blessing from God. And when she had taken him and brought him to his mother and said, he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and went out. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I've seen a lot about this woman, her faith, her work, her heart, her love, her zeal, her motive behind the scenes and all this stuff that we've laid out about this woman. This is the part that maybe that we could point out and go, okay, this is the part that makes her great in the eyes of God. Notice this. She takes this dead son. I imagine she's probably crying and said, gets really strong and she's, okay. Sets him down, leaves the boy there, and just walks out and shuts the door. And her husband's going, oh my goodness, she's lost it. She's lost it. You can imagine, I mean, is she in her right frame of mind? What's going on? What's she going to do? She called her under her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither noon nor Sabbath. And she said, it shall be well. You talk about unshakable faith. You talk about the heart. I can have faith. Don't get me wrong. I can have faith when everything is going good. I can preach on faith when everything is going good. But man, it's a harder thing to live, is it not? Me me and Jenny right now are getting into... uh, this house that we bought, and have you ever gotten into projects before that you thought it was going to be this, and it ends up being this? Yeah. Everything. Let me tell you how to estimate. If you're going to do repairs on your home, I'm going to tell you how to estimate. You add it up, and you say, this is how much it's going to cost, and then you just double it, and you're going to hit it. And, and, and we ran into this glitch with this whole thing, and I, I'm letting it get me down and sick and nauseous and frustrated and everything. And I'm working on my house, and I'm getting down, and I'm kicking things. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just aggravated, okay? Preachers get aggravated. So I'm going through this and whatever, and I'm thinking, you know, as I'm working and everything, the Lord came in and sat down next to me. Sometimes that's a blessing, and sometimes it's not. And the Lord goes, you're probably going to preach Sunday about having faith in me, aren't you? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about this now. <laughs> it's a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to live it. I mean, when the pressure is on and things just aren't adding up, you see, that's when we've got to expect God. And she's thinking, man, I've heard him preach and I know the man of God and I know what he said and I know the faithfulness of my God. Why would I doubt now? Why would I doubt now? And she just takes her son and says, he's got an answer. He's got, I don't know what it's going to be. Where are you going to find this guy? I don't know. But I know that my God is able. Just, just get the donkey ready. Get me what I need. Get me a, a, a servant ready. And you know, this, this, you can just read this guy, the husband. I mean, we talk about the woman be great in the eyes of God. 
This, this husband's saying, all right, get her a donkey. I'm, I'm not getting her away. Get her, get her what she needs. Whatever it is, just don't get in her way. And she just turns him and says, it shall be well. Okay, what? All right. Verse 24, then she saddled an ass and said unto her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. You know what that means? No bathroom breaks, no Starbucks, no nothing. So she went out and came unto the man of God, the Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her far off, said unto Gehazi, her servant, Behold, yonder is a Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, It is well with thee? Is a question? Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. Now, first of all, I'd like to point out how did she how did Elisha know that something was wrong? I mean, probably this giant burst of dust coming around this, you know, thing and saying, Oh, that's a oh wow, she's going fast, you know. Good thing they didn't have police. She just gets out and says to the servant, just walks up to him and says, Hey, is, is everything okay with our husband or whatever? And she just says, It's gonna be fine. Where's Elijah? You know, it's all good. It's all good. Came into the man of God, verse 27, and she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone. You don't mess with a mom that's fighting for her children. We, we, would, we would fight this way if it was a crazy dog from the neighborhood that ran up in the yard to, to go after our kids. I, I, I promise you, I know my wife, she would, she would beat that dog. My wife, she's not even that type of girl, but I, I promise you, there's something that happens when we're fighting for our, our, our children. But I'm not talking about a physical fight. I'm telling you right now, this woman was getting a hold of God. And you say, Elisha was not God. Please let me take you back to the Old Testament. Okay, today we don't have an advocate between, I mean, we bow on our knees and we cry out to the Lord and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But back then, these prophets represented God. Okay, she wasn't worshiping this God, but it was a matter of you can go to a hold of God. And notice her passion when it comes to this. It wasn't a matter of boasting, you promised me, where's God now, whatever. She goes in, she falls down, grabs him by the feet and says, big boy, you're not going anywhere, <laughs> okay. My son is sick, and Charlotte, and, and, and Elisha Noon says, that he has, I goes up to like pull him off and says, dude, you better just back off. Came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Have you ever wondered why that? I mean, obviously, Elijah said, you know what, the Lord would have told me. You know what, Lord, you didn't tell me this time. Lord, this woman is miserable. You didn't, you didn't tell me anything. You didn't, you didn't say, go, go to the shooting of that woman, for she is vexed within her soul, or anything like that. And I mean, God would have did that. The Bible's filled with stories like that. But not here. Do you know why I think? Because God wanted to see the heart of this woman. You know what's cool about that? It's the fact of knowing that sometimes God just puts us out there and, and lets us go through heartaches. I, I remember, and it's been forever ago, it blows me away now, when, when my church family was with behind me, when my sister Christine tried to kill herself. And she uh, swallowed three bottles of Tylenol, 
And um, life lighted her, and she flatlined twice. And I got the phone call, and I'm driving down, and you guys have heard her tell this story herself. It was the lowest spiritually that I've ever been in my life is for, like, crying out for God. Here I am driving to Alabama with my phone in my hand, literally waiting to find out if she was dead or alive. But let me tell you this. I have never prayed like that before. Never. I'm, I'm saying I have prayed for, prayed for college. I have prayed for money. I have prayed for, for stuff. I have prayed for this. But I have never in my life prayed like that before. I mean, I, I'm sure. I, I told Jen, I said, if a cop sees me, he's going to pull me over. Because all it was, I was, I was crying and talking to myself. And the kids were sleeping. And I was crying. And I was just, I was just driving. And just, I, I, this was, this description of this woman was me. And I just prayed. At one point, I said, God, just let me get there in time to say goodbye to her. Because they told, they came out and told my mom and said, she's got hours. This doesn't look good. Her body is shutting down. You, you know the, I think God does that. Though we don't want to talk about that. Though I'm not going to go to somebody in the hospital that's sitting there crying and going, like, man, God must be working. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, we, don't want to, we don't want to talk like that. But let me just be honest. God allows us to go through valleys on purpose. And I love her honesty here. Notice verse 28. Then she said, did I desire a son, my Lord? Did I say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehaz, I gird up thy loins and take thy staff in thy hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay thy staff upon his face of the child. What an amazing faith of this woman. I, I, I don't know what I could pinpoint. If I was going to say what made her great in the eyes of God, I, I'd look and say her servant's heart. The, 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 the fact that her motive was so pure. I'd look at it, all these different things. Or what it was at this. The fact that this woman just had such outlandish faith that she knew without a doubt that God was going to take care of him. What unshakable faith. She believed in her God. Can I tell you honestly between us as a church family tonight, I want this. I, I'd love to know that and the confidence. And let me tell you, our unshakable faith needs to be, Lord, your will be done. Because sometimes we pray selfishly saying, give me what I want. I, I just want to have so much confidence in my God, no matter what the answer is. I have the peace in my God that he's going to take care of it, whether it's his way or my way. And you know what I mean by that? Because sometimes we don't pray and accept, Lord, if you take them home, then I'm okay with it. Because that's not an easy prayer but his ways are not our ways. Notice what she does. And the mother of the child, verse 30, and the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. I just thought, he was not God, but he was the manifestation of God. The messenger, the healer, all those things that we know of Jesus Christ today was through these men in this passage. And I love how she says, I will cling to you no matter where you go or what you do. You want to know how to get through a hard time where you're going through it? You cling to Jesus. I know that's easier said than done, and I know it's almost become cliche when we go up to somebody and say, just hold on to Jesus but there's something about being able to kneel alone 
and cry out to God and, and literally, and I, I mean this with my literally feel his presence. And you say, describe that, you only can experience, it's not something that I can describe, to, to feel the all-amazing presence of our God to put his hands upon you when you're going through a hard time. I will not leave thee. In verse 20, 31, And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon his face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awaked. And when Elijah was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. Elijah went in, and the ch child did not revive like they thought. It didn't go to plan. It did not go the way that they thought it should go. And he paced the floor, and the Bible says that he laid on the child, and the child awaked out of his sleep and sneezed seven times. And Elijah called for his mother, and she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took her son and went out. Let me tell you, serving God doesn't eliminate problems in our life. But when we have the right motive for what we do, I can't, I can't put in the words the blessings that God gives us that only God can give us. And I, I, I just thought about, Lord, could you look down at me and say, man, look, at that, that, that man is great in the eyes of me. And I'm, I'm not saying that be proud. I know that we'd all pray that prayer. If God's going to label somebody and say, hey, that's, that's something to be noticed. That's, that's something right there. Or that unshakable faith or that servant's heart. Or the, the motive of just seeing the furtherance of the gospel. But when the storms come in our life, I want to be able to have that faith to know that my God is able no matter how bad it looks in my life. I may never be great in the eyes of man, but I pray that our desire of all of us is to be great in the eyes of God. 